looking on the bright side of coronavirus, COVID-19. I got that idea not from Monty Python, actually, uh, but from a niece um, who said that the junk that she's reading about coronavirus is getting her down. Uh, so I thought, ah, now, you know, almost everything I hear is food for an episode. And that was food for an episode for me. I thought, hmm, she's not enjoying all of this. This, you know, coronavirus news. She's not enjoying it. Now, uh, I happen to know it's because she's exposing herself to a social media version of the goings-on that are uh, coronavirus 2020 and um and you know there'd be that much crazy stuff on there that i can imagine that it would suck all the fun out of it you know the experience that is the coronavirus that we've got around at the moment covid19 you know so i can imagine why she's having an unhappy ride um However, you know, my experience has been the opposite uh, so far. You know, that may change if I actually catch the thing and die. You know, but even so, it's still going, that's still exciting. You know, it's it, um, it's a, a very exciting ride, I believe, to die. Um, I just read something about that in Harry Potter the other night. You know, death is not a bad thing it's you know it's it's just the next great adventure for a well-organized mind and i think i've got a well-organized mind when it comes to that sort of stuff but i, I haven't been tested uh, so far um but one thing i will say um is that i've thoroughly enjoyed you know on one level i've enjoyed the the whole ride that has been coronavirus so far it is exciting and that could be because i'm not exposed to social media you know i'm getting really i'm getting only a bbc world service version of what's going on plus a highly censored news feed that i maintain on my phone yeah over time i've blocked everything yeah, you know, if I see something stupid, I block the whole site. Yeah, you know, even one uh, stupid article about something, um, just blocked. You know, because if the editors let one stupid thing through, they're going to let another stupid thing through, so they're gone. And I tend to see only fairly sensible commentary on a thing like coronavirus. But it's the most exciting news time. I think I've had since September 11, actually, you know, because that was amazing. I've, I've never made an episode on um, my experience of September 11. Um, I was lying in bed, you know, um, and I said to, um, I said to my wife, you know, oh, all right, she wasn't my wife yet, but I said to her, I said this to her anyway, um, because I was listening to the BBC in my ear. And I heard about the plane, the first plane, yeah, the first plane going in to the building. And I said, um, something strange has just happened. And uh, she said, what? And I said, just a minute. And I went and I almost only half believed it. It appeared to be an accident. 
um, to yeah the, per- the the way it was reported it was an accident a plane had hit a building and so I jumped out of bed and went to the lounge room and turned the TV on uh, this is in the era before internet I'm not sure I had internet back then or if I did it would have been rudimentary um, I turned the TV on and oh my god there was repeat uh, footage of that plane going into that World Trade Centre building, uh, one of the towers, um, over and over again, and I was just gobsmacked. Yeah. But it was exciting. I was, it was a tingling feeling. You know, the last time I had a tingling feeling like that was when Elvis died in 1977, and I saw the poster, you know, the the newspaper poster outside the milk bar in Lansfield, oh, and John Lennon when he died. You know, I've had these moments. You know. Um, the king is dead, it said, when Elvis died, and I couldn't believe it. But I was a kid then, so your priorities are different. But when um, that build, uh, and I was calling out to my wife, uh, well, she's my wife now, thank goodness, um, and um, a, a plane has crashed into the World Trade Centre, and, you know, she was pretty much just vaguely saying, oh, that sounds terrible, you know, but I think she might have been imagining a light plane or something. You know, and which World Trade Centre anyway, you know. Um, the one in, you know, Melbourne. We've, we've got a little one, you know. But it was the big ones. And, um, but I knew it was a big plane, jet. And, um, and, um, and then as I was watching, I was watching Transfixed. And then there were screams, you know, on the TV or something. I can't remember what order things came in. But I saw the second plane go in. And like, as was the case with a lot of people, that was the big moment. When the second one went in, I couldn't believe it. And my my jaw dropped, you know, because then I knew it wasn't an accident. I had never experienced anything like it in my life. Yeah, it was amazing, you know. Now, it was awful, it was tragic, you know, I knew that an aeroplane full of people had just died and all these people and definitely in whatever offices that, you know, a few floors of people had just died. And then they started, the World Trade Centres started collapsing. Actually, I just watched it all night, you know, and there were people jumping off the building. You know how it all goes now, but yeah, if you were there, it was pretty, you know, just watching it unfold and... um, and so on and so forth, and that aeroplane, other aeroplane went down in Pennsylvania or whatever it was, you know. Something went into the Pentagon. Oh, look, whatever was going on, you know. Um, and it, and ever since then, um, the news, that eminent, you know, the stuff that happened as a result of that has kept going unabated ever since, you know, and led to the Iraq War and all sorts of things and refugee crises and all sorts of things. It's just unbelievable. Um, the world got more exciting. I think that was the last time the world was simple for me, you know, and it got messy after that. Look, there were messy times prior, but they were before my time in a way. You know, that was the Vietnam War and all that. You know, that was World War Two, and then all the, the little wars mopping up that came after that, you know, the Korean War and, you know, all this stuff, you know, and Vietnam and... Um, but, you know, that was very messy, but that was trying to unmessify by the time I was a teenager, and we kind of had a, a sort of lull, 
There was always bad things, shocking things. Srebrenica and, you know, um, and Rwanda, oh, my God, and all this sort of stuff. You know, there's always been bad things, but, yeah, um, incredibly, incredibly exciting. You know, the news got very exciting from then on. Um, when before that, you know, you were, in the 1990s, you were stuck with bad music and watching Seinfeld episodes, you know. Um... So that's that. Uh, unless you were in Srebrenica, of course. Or Rwanda or any of the other places. You know, there's always bad things going on. But this current coronavirus has been fascinating on a news level. Now, this sounds insensitive, but it doesn't have to be fascinating in a good way, but it's fascinating anyway. I'm not being bored by it. I'm transfixed. I'm, every hour I'm checking the news. Yeah, normally I wouldn't do that. 20 minutes, maybe even. You know, sometimes every 20 minutes, just checking my phone to see what's coming up next, you know. Um, you know who would imagine such news flashes so quick? You know, Peter Dutton, coronavirus, you know. Justin Trudeau over in Canada, you know, Prime Minister of Canada. He's got coronavirus, you know, and all this sort of stuff, you know. Next thing we'll know, the Queen's dropping dead, you know. <laughs> It's big news, and it may be shocking and horrible and all that sort of stuff, but it's exciting as well. Um, I should have been a journalist, maybe, because that you know you have to be some sort of sociopath. You know, maybe I have got the right sociopathic gene to be a journalist. Um, but um, it's exciting, if nothing else. Now, this all prompted this episode uh, because um, my niece said it's, it's just the commentary I'm hearing about it. Is getting me down, you know, and I got the sense that it was um, it was offending her intellect. You know, everything she was reading about coronavirus, it was offending her sensibilities, and it was offending her intellect. Now, my experience is the exact opposite. Um, I'm learning a lot about the human condition. All over again. I learned a lot about it after September 11, too. And if I had lived through World War II, I would have learned a lot about the human condition then, too. Um, but um, all over again, you know, I'm learning about the human condition, both on an individual level and humanity level. Um, in, in, I'm, I'm getting an extra education on the way we tick just because of how the world's reacting to this and how all our systems uh, cope, react, don't cope, you know, and all this sort of thing, you know. Will capitalism survive this? You know, this sort of thing, you know. You can go on and on and on. But I'm finding it exciting. And this sense of, you know, the fact that it is even exciting for me, I I was taking for granted. I don't think I'd thought it through. Um... But her saying that, my niece, that it's, um, it's starting to frustrate her what she's reading about coronavirus and she just wants to switch off from it. And I think she only means from social media. She said she switched off her social media um, as a result of all the crap she'd been hearing. Um, her frustration uh, brought into short focus, uh, sharp focus the fact that I'm finding it very exciting, which you may find sociopathic, the fact that I'm doing that, but... It is, the, it is a fact. Yeah. Um, so that prompted the episode that's coming up, which is a whole different look on coronavirus. You know, the previous episode was a philosophy of coronavirus. You know, that's a whole different look 
at coronavirus, you know, from a whole different perspective. But this episode is having a bright, you know, the bright side, looking at the bright side of coronavirus. You know, I've, I've, don't worry, this is about the sixth episode of on coronavirus I've made, you know, in this mini-series called Coronavirus Diary. It's about the sixth episode. And I've done all the dark stuff and the tragic stuff and all that sort of thing, you know, but... Um, it's not all bad. That sounds like a terrible thing to say, but it does form a good introductory kind of statement for the episode that's coming up. And without further ado, cue music. The world is at its most interesting in times of crisis, a lot of people think, and and so are individual people, so is humanity. This is where you get a better insight into the nature of us. We, and this doesn't have to actually even be humans or even living things, we like to stress test things to see um, to see what they're really made of you know, so even aeroplane wings I'm sure for example in testing I don't know what they do there you know but I can imagine in a, in a, a development factory uh, they would um, shake the wings manually with some sort of machine or something I don't know if they do that or maybe they um, put an aeroplane in a, a huge wind tunnel and, um, and make it extremely turbulent um, until the wings fall off. Uh, just to stress test that thing. Uh, and then, you know, once the wings have fallen off, you've learned something about those wings that you couldn't learn just by flying the aeroplane in normal, in a normal manner. Yeah. And I know that, um, and I learned this with the, uh, the global financial crunch about 10 years ago. Um, after that, uh, they introduced stress tests for banks you know, and, and put them under stress artificially so that, such that when the next global financial crunch came, which is about now, I think, by the look of it, due to this coronavirus, uh, so that when the next global financial crunch came, we would, um, they would know in advance how those banks were going to perform so that we don't have another Lehman Brothers disaster or something like that. Look, I suppose if there's enough turbulence, you're going to have a Lehman Brothers situation anyway. Uh, you know, this is not necessarily about avoiding the wings falling off, yeah, but at least knowing they're about to and when they're about to uh, so that you can have your parachutes ready, you know, something like that, you know. Or you can all run and hide. Um, oh, Serena Williams, you know, I saw an uh, article from her. Uh, uh, you know, like in the mainstream media, I see things from the world of tweets. Yeah, and I saw a tweet. You know, I'm not on Twitter, never have been. But I saw a, th- a tweet from uh, Serena Williams and um, she said 
Hi everyone, this looks like it's getting hairy. I'll speak to you in about, you know, eight weeks. You know, she said, I'm going into my compound, you know, my mansion with high walls and all that sort of thing. I, I, I bet there is. Um, and um, it's just going to be me, my husband, um, my, my child, and uh, this is going to be an opportunity for me to connect um, with my family and do a lot of cooking. Can't wait to do the cooking. Um, so, you know, uh, Serena Williams has got a good radar there for uh, realising the wings are going to fall off. She's got a parachute <laughs> in the form of a mansion and she's going to, you know, she, she's going to parachute herself back into her mansion, close the doors um, and avoid every kind of disaster. You know, she would be very stocked up and all that sort of stuff. She would have toilet paper in there. Okay. Uh, in the in America, you know, this sort of says to me that um, the, your best defence is to be rich. <laughs> ah, good luck to her, you know. I'm doing a form of that myself. I'm able to do something like that in a way that a lot of other people are not. My family is in isolation, Serena Williams style too. We're able to, at least we've got a nice big backyard and a house and all that sort of stuff. You know, but, um, but at least I'm aware that... Um, now, I wouldn't put that out there like that if I was Serena Williams because there'd be a lot of people living in circumstances where they they can't so, uh, you know, um, cheerfully uh, say, whoop, look, it's getting hairy, everyone. Well, look, closing the doors. See you in eight weeks. I'm okay. Uh, um, <laughs> good luck, everybody. <laughs> That's a terrible one. That's a racist one I just did there because my, I, heard, I heard someone say that once, you know. He said, uh, there's an Asian person. <laughs> I think it was a, a video on the internet or something, and someone showed it to me. It was terrible. You know, I shouldn't have laughed. Uh, but I had an Asian lady in a car. Yeah. And this was buying into the stereotype that Asians can't drive. <laughs> uh, but I'm not racist because I know that um, there are Asian. There's a Japanese Formula One driver, actually, and he's very good. <laughs> so, yeah, I know the facts. So, uh, but, you know, and had this, I think it was a woman driving along the road and she was in the left lane and then without even looking, she just went across two lanes into the right lane and um, rather than use her blinker, she used the phrase, good luck everybody, I'm changing lanes and whoosh, right across. And then cars and things were, you know, and trucks were crashing in a Homer Simpson, in a kind of Simpsons episode style, you know, and she, she completely got away with it unscathed. Oh, Serena Williams might be doing something like that. Okay, so that's that. But um, stress tests, you know, Serena Williams, uh, she probably noticed what happened last time in the global financial crunch, or she probably um, read up on pandemics of the past and thought, I'm out of here. <laughs> you know, they're, they're valuable these stress tests. Um, I had a reason for even talking about all this, but I forget what it is. Um, no, can't remember. Uh, but I'll take a break now because I'm about to pick up someone and then come back to this later when I do remember what I was going to talk about in this episode. Okay, I'm back and I remember what I was on about, roughly. 
It's to do with this business of, in some ways, it's good when a crisis comes along because it's a learning opportunity. Um, when things are going smooth, you don't learn much about the world. You know? But um, a big drama like a world war or a, a huge virus um, it brings things to the surface that wouldn't be brought to the surface otherwise, you know. Uh, like atom bombs, for example. Um, you know, World War Two. every war is a huge learning experience. And, you know, coronavirus, you know, this virus will teach us new things too and actually teaches me new things as well and teaches me old things that I should have known but I don't. Um, you know... Look, maybe, maybe this will be a little kick along, yeah. Because we've all been looking forward to this, you know, brave new world. I think in which we don't actually travel as much as we used to, and um, we all work virtually. You know, like sometimes I imagine a world where you don't need to travel at all. Everything is done by, um, you know. Microsoft Teams or um, FaceTime and all that sort of stuff, you know, video conferencing and all that sort of thing. Why, why do people um, go overseas for business, you know? Just Skype in. And as long as you get the definition HD enough, um, you're picking up all the nuance in the person's the other person's expression. Let's say you're trying to do a business deal with someone. It, it doesn't really work quite as well. Um, by video conferencing because you can't... You know, when you're with someone, you can see every little twitch of their face. You know, imagine you were playing poker with someone. Um, it wouldn't be this. It's not the same playing poker with someone virtually as it is face-to-face because -face you're seeing every little twitch of the eyelashes, you know, and all that sort of stuff and the slight flicker of the eyes as... Um, they pull out an ace of hearts when they're, when they're dealt an ace of hearts, you know, the other guy. You know, the same goes with business deals or even just relating to people. We really need to see every little twitch, you know, before we sign on the dotted line. Or even, you know, we, we're very nuanced and subtle, we humans. But HD um, technology, you know, like video technology is getting... Uh, better and better, and soon uh, the definition will be so good. In fact, we c that we can see all those little twitches, and we can have a meaningful relationship with someone on vid by video. Um, and uh, when and we almost could do with putting more effort into high definition. So, you know, and obviously, you know, you sort of think, ah, that's putting a lot of resources into that, but take it away, you know, save a lot on travel. Like if we, you know, Qantas has reduced services by 90% at the moment, you know. Well, don't bring it back up to 100% after this virus goes away. Bring it back to 50%, save the environment, uh, environment a bit. Put a lot of money into high-definition video conferencing. And, um, and, yes, that will, you know, be a little bit bad for the environment. You know, all the computers and screens and everything you'd have to make uh, to do that. But look at all the jet fuel 
that you're not burning anymore and the net result might be good for the environment if people would stop travelling all around. Do you know when people travel around for business and they say they have to? And I'm not sure that they always have to. I think they love it. You know, people who um, are globe-trotting business people, you know, flitting from London to Paris to Milan to Los Angeles and even to more exotic places sometimes I think you don't actually have to be doing that um, you like it you know yeah um, these people are not really into the environment because if, if they really analyzed what they were doing uh, I'm sure that they don't need to be at every one of those conferences and sales meetings and all that sort of stuff they could be doing some of this virtually um, but they're putting it all down to business, yeah, both in terms of tax, but also in terms of morals. You know, they're justifying it away. Um, but with a, when a crisis comes along, you learn. You know, it sometimes kicks humanity into the next level. As bad as it is, it often kicks humanity into the next level. Um, in good and bad ways. You know, that's what brought... Uh, that's what brought along a lot of our technology that we enjoy today uh, was the wars. World War One, World War Two, and other wars were massive advances in technology very quickly. Stuff that would have taken 50 years to develop. Um, new ideas like microwave ovens, for example, um, were developed in weeks. Um, I don't know how fast the microwave sort of engine that led to, you know, that was for military purposes, I believe, and then it was pushed across into making ovens, microwave ovens, Uh, you know, but things like that, like aeroplane technology, for example, you know, just went through a rocket technology, the V1, the V2, Germans, you know, but a lot of good things too, yeah. All right, now, a lot of bad things and a lot of good things, but the point is, no matter how bad this crisis is, this coronavirus crisis, um, it's going to lead to some good things. Surely, nearly always it does. Some bad things and some good things. But one thing it might do is um, it might get it. You know, a lot of people might suddenly see, uh, sort of see, realise, gee, we can work without coming into a central office in a city. Your know, whole organisations right now are working. Yeah, you know, their their huge office blocks in the city are, are lying idle, and the work is it's still happening. Yeah, like government, for example. I work a lot with government, and the function of government is yeah you know, they're closing their offices tomorrow, but the function of government is going to keep going. Why have we got those offices if we can do it all from home? Yeah. Uh, so we may find that, you know, this virus is forcing us all to work from home, right? And let's say it's pushing half a billion people into a home office. Now, are all of those half billion people going to go back to work after this virus passes? Yeah, maybe not. You know, maybe only a quarter of a billion you know, maybe some people will start saying, "Listen, we actually some, we were actually able to carry out our functions quite well. Um, only twenty percent of our workforce needs to actually come back into the office, and we'll stop renting four of our five floors." 
you know, there might be a bit of that. And then suddenly, you know, there's less people driving cars, less people flying aeroplanes, all sorts of things happening. People, you know, there'd be a lot of people using Microsoft Teams and other video conferencing sort of apps um, that have never used them before, you know, because they're being forced to, and they may get hooked on them. And these may be the good things that come out of coronavirus. There'll be bad things as well, you know, but it's a learning experience, having a disaster, um, and when humanity and humans and, and animals are put under stress, you know, they find ways to adapt and, um, and, and do things differently in good ways. Um, and I personally learn things you know, that I wouldn't have otherwise. People, humanity under, in crisis, people in crisis, if we watch that in action... It's more enlightening than watching people in their ordinary day lives. You know, and I think this is why most TV shows, for example, are cop shows, hospital shows, lawyer shows, you know, because we get to watch people, you know, fictionally, of course, but it doesn't matter. Uh, we get to watch people in, in a crisis situation, you know, being a police, legal, lawyers, hospital, you know, TV, hospital sort of sitcoms and all that sort of stuff, these are more interesting. And the most interesting sitcoms that are not even one of those, um, you know, the plot lines are usually about applying pressure to the people in the sitcoms and seeing how they react, you know. And so when humanity gets the blowtorch applied to it, in some ways, it's this is the moment to get excited and watch, you know, because you're really going to see some things that you don't see normally. Um, yeah, look, one example was, for example, um, 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 oh, I heard on the news uh, that, you know, because, you know, stimulus packages are being uh, rolled out all over the world. We had this with the global financial crunch, and this takes me back to the start of this episode too. So, you know, um, I learned something about that, which maybe I've learned before and forgotten. Um, I'm not an economist of of any sort or anything like that, but, gee, the news is interesting lately. You know, because humanity is under major stress right now, you know, we are learning all sorts of things in all sorts of ways. Things about politics, economics, art... You know, sport, you know. Um, I was at horse riding, riding with my daughter the other day and he said, oh, you know, we're going to be in big trouble because we're a luxury. And, it, you know, it reminds oneself, ah, see, luxury industries, like horse riding, you know, <laughs> they'll probably go bankrupt, you know. Um, another one is, you know, um, I, uh, my wife's uncle has a plastics factory. Now... If you can survive, you would think that something like this would be shocking for manufacturing. Um, But if you've got, you know, 1% of market share in plastics manufacturing and suddenly the demand for plastics halves, halves, you know, you would think that you would only have half half a percent of market share suddenly. Uh, But no, because... um, a quarter of all plastics manufacturers might fold. 
and um, I don't know if my maths is right here, you know, but suddenly, yes, the market, uh, your, you know, you've got one, you had 1% of market share, I shouldn't have said quarter, let's say a half of all manufacturing um, folds, plastics manufacturing, you had 1% of market share, now you've got 2%, let's say, of market share, um, so uh, you haven't ended up behind. You are still making as money, much money as you were before, as long as you don't go under. You know? And actually, it can get, get even better than that, you know, because heaps of plastics manufacturers could fold. And even if the market share dives, you will have much more of what's left, and your production might actually increase. You know, so the world works in uh, funny ways when the world is under stress and it's very interesting and the news by the way is fascinating at the moment you know for all these sorts of reasons now um now uh, global stimulate you know, oh sorry national stimulus packages and all that sort of stuff and there'll be some global ones from the un maybe the world bank will le- release some money for this and that as well but anyway um so stimulus packages now i heard an economist um uh, well, actually, criticising America uh, um, for their act, America, you know, America for its actions over the last few days, um, because apparently, if you if you throw too much money into a stimulus package, you know, uh, and it doesn't work, you've already used up all your ammunition, and that can be a problem. Um, now, I hadn't really thought about this before. Now, this is like an army. Um, and you go up against another army, you know. And there they are, arrayed in front of you. Now, you might say to your army, give them everything we've got. You know, let's say it's back in the old times. You've got, you've got a quarter of a million arrows, you know. And you, and you just go... Bang, 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 bang. And you, you, know, you make, the, like the Persians, you know, you make the sky go dark with arrows and rain down hell on the Greeks, you know, um, and force them to fight in the shade. Now, the Greeks, now, if you're going to use all your arrows, make sure that you kill them all. And I mean all of them, because you're going to be unarmed after this, you know. So I've learnt this in an economic way uh, from listening to this economist on the radio uh, and it was this morning, actually. And um, uh, you'd better kill them all. Um, because even if there's, say, only 300 Greeks left out of a, an army of 10,000, and they're all Spartan, you're in a lot of trouble. Yeah? Because what they might do, as you're raining down those arrows on the Greeks, they might just um, hunker down and put their shields, you know, create a roof over themselves with their shields and ping, 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 ping and just weather the storm, right? And and then stand up and just march in and slaughter you. Yeah, if you're going to use all your arrows, make sure you kill the enemy. Now, the enemy in this case is the economy. You know, an economic downturn. Now, what America has done... um, in the last couple of days, uh, whether it, whether it's true or not doesn't matter, but it's illustrative. But this economist claimed this is America has 
released too big a stimulus package, you know, to prop up the economy. Um, you know, released too much money. Um, and uh, that's akin to firing too many arrows at the economic downturn. You know, the sudden economic downturn as a result of coronavirus. And, uh, and this economist was saying, if that doesn't work, America's in a lot of trouble. Uh, because you've got, no, you've got no more arrows, you know. Like if you re- reduce interest rates to zero straight away. Um, because reducing interest rates is a weapon that you have against the enemy being economic, you know, un- uh, downturns. Um, but if you re- re- reduce to zero, you've actually got to take interest rates into the negative, you know. Um, you haven't got any more room to move there and you've got to do something else like steal money from superannuation or something. You know, or stop services and things like that. You're in a lot of trouble. You know, better to reduce the interest rates to 1% so that you've still got 1% in reserve to throw at the enemy. If the en- yeah, Because there's a chance you won't kill the problem. You know, if you reduce the interest... Imagine if you reduce the interest rates to zero, give it all, everything you've got, and you don't kill the beast... And the beast is just going to quietly stand up and slaughter you. Um, and then you'll have riots in the street that'll make the LA riots look like a picnic, you know. And um, this economist was claiming that America has done that, you know, over the last couple of days and thrown too much at it. You know, I think Australia has been much more measured, um, but that remains to be seen. We may be in, look, the whole everyone might be in dire straits very, very soon. Okay, now, yeah, there's no predicting what's going to happen next. It's only after all this is, uh, after uh, all this, uh, this um, crisis has played out that you can really be wise. This, what you're listening to, is a diary in the thick of it. You know? um, but if you want really, a really wise reflection on you know, who's doing the right thing, Who's, who, who's got the best strategies in the world, um, you know, wait until the history books are written after all this is, you know, you know, there's a lot of people who are very smart at the moment, but the really smart people will be the people who have the benefit of hindsight. So that's a year from now, you know, and there will be people then saying, well, it's obvious what America should have done, you know, and what Australia should have done, and here's what the United Kingdom did wrong. You know, it was absolutely ridiculous what the United Kingdom did, you know. But they've got the benefit of seeing how it all panned out. Uh, and, and when people do make that commentary after a crisis has been and gone, they do give the impression that they, um, that, uh, they were saying that all along. You know? And there are people, look, there are people predicting every possible solution. So there will be, look, there's an uncertainty, but there will be people who will be predicting the right outcomes, uh, sorry, the right strategies at the moment. That's not necessarily because they're smarter than the other guys. You know? um, because every possible strategy is being suggested around the world at the moment. Someone's going to be right. Um, but there are so many wild card poss- you know, things going on um, that just because that person gets, the, you know, nails the right strategy in prediction now doesn't mean that person's the smartest person. You know, someone else might have it, um, 
smarter ideas, which will be a better idea, you know, as we stand here now, that turn out to be the wrong ideas, but, you know, just because of forces that can't even be predicted, you know. Anyway, so on and so forth. Anyway, what else? Is there anything else I learned? Ah, yes. I learned that if you're going to... If you're going to... If you're going to um, attack the enemy with everything you've got, make sure you kill him. Actually, Donald Trump used that recently too. And um, that, now, he's, I, I think he's been a basket case as in his handling of um, America's response to coronavirus at the moment. Yeah, but that's just me speaking from afar um but he said something i quite quite liked um because someone nancy pelosi this is nothing to do with coronavirus um the democrats threw everything at him but they didn't knock him off in the impeachment the other day now the other the other a couple of months ago um and he said if you impeach me you better make sure you get me you know and i think he was saying the same sort of thing he said if you're gonna go for the king you better kill the king he said, you know, I think he was quoting some old proverb, you know. In fact, he was. Anyway, he said, if you're going to kill the king, make sure you knock the king off, you know. The Democrats were giving, uh, giving it everything they had in trying to get Donald Trump, you know, uh, some time ago, about a few months ago, I think it was. And they didn't knock him off, actually. And, um, and so Donald Trump said something wise. And he said, ah, Democrats... You know, if you don't knock me off, you'll only make me stronger. <laughs> of course, he didn't see coronavirus coming, so I think he's going to get knocked off anyway. But, you know, this is just um, Mother Nature. Is, is, is a, is, she's got a sense of humour. OK. But that doesn't mean he was wrong. Brutally chopped off I was that time. Mid-word that time. But... Uh, I know that I was finishing off a sentence that went something like um, just because something or something or something or other then that doesn't mean he was wrong Um, but anyway um, I really don't have any more to say with this episode (laughs) Um, I don't think I do anyway I could probably sit here for a second and think Uh, did I mention that the actual sort of wording that Donald Trump used when he was saying, listen, if you're, going to go, if you're going to come and get me, Nancy Pelosi and the Democrats, then you'd better knock me off or you'll make me stronger. Did I mention the words he used? I might have actually, but I can't remember. Um, the words he used had the word king in them, you know, which you know, made for a bit of an interesting backlash. Not quite on point, but interesting at least. He said something, you know, he quoted a proverb or something and he said, if you're going to uh, go for the king, make sure you kill him. Um, yeah, or he'll be stronger, you know, you'll make him stronger otherwise. And, um, and there was some backlash, you know, people saying, you are not the king. You're always trying to sort of make out you're the king. Yeah. And I'm not sure that he was, you know, when someone says... Um, of himself, you know, if you're going to come and get me, if you're going to come and get the king, make sure you knock off the king. He's not actually saying he's the king. He's saying, just look, I'm powerful, and if you knock me off, um, sorry, if you don't knock me off, if you come for me and don't knock me off, you're in a lot of trouble. He's not actually explicitly saying he's the king. It's an analogy, you know. 
It's a saying, it's a proverb. Yeah. Um, but that's that. Yeah, but look, there's a lot of things. There's a lot of good things that co- could come out of this coronavirus car- crisis, you know. Um, and definitely a lot of interesting things will come out of it. But my main learning out of the coronavirus today was that when you're trying to prop up your economy, um, you, have, no, you have to be measured. Don't fire all your bullets at once. You know, if you've got $150 billion in your budget spare that you could throw at the, um, the economy to keep it propped up, to, you know, to stop it folding, you know, to avoid riots in the streets. Um, you've got 150 billion spare. If you if you spend only 20 billion, um, you might just waste that 20 billion. You know, if you have no effects whatsoever. Um, if you throw 150 billion at it, well, that's the scenario, isn't it? Um, that you know, you may be throwing too much at it in more than one way. Um, you may prop up the economy, okay, but how do you know that 90 billion wouldn't have worked? Oops, you wasted 60 billion. Yeah. Um, but there's this extra problem if you throw 100 billion, 150 billion at it. What if you do that and the economic beast downturn hasn't been knocked off? You are in big trouble. You've got nothing left. Okay, so you kind of have to you have to play poker a little bit, you have to gamble a little bit. You know, maybe 50 billion is the right amount to throw at it, you know. Um, you have to be careful, you know. Um, so, and I, from what I've heard, America might have thrown too much at it in the last couple of days. That's what I've learned. But um, it's a tricky balancing act. Um, and only time will tell as to who got it right and who got it wrong. Okay, so that's that. And that's not the only thing that has to be balanced out. You know, that balancing act, you know, should Scott Morrison um, close all the schools right now in, in, Victoria, in Australia, order them all closed. You know, that's, that's a very dramatic move to change all the schools. Now, if I was on social media, I bet there are some people who say, Absolutely, of course, it's ridiculous not to. I cannot believe they haven't already, you know. Stupid, stupid, stupid. Yeah. And then there'll be others who will be telling those people, don't be absolute idiots. You are stupid, stupid, stupid. You know? We should keep them open for this reason, that reason, and the other reason, you know. Uh, you know, and one of those reasons might be if you close all the schools, then there'll be no one to, yeah, all the parents will be stuck at home fielding the kids and there'll be no one in the hospitals right in the middle of a coronavirus crisis you know and then the first person if I was on social media I bet you uh, there are people going at each other hammer and tongs and then, then that first person will say you are stupid 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 and then the second person will say no you are stupid 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 and it just goes on like that ah but in you know in a, in a podcast like this you sort of say gee it's a tricky balancing act, you know, and to a certain extent, Scott Morrison has to make the best call he can. He's our Prime Minister, if you, you know. Um, you never know. 
You, you don't have to be from Australia, do you? Whoever you are, you might not know who ScoMo is. Um, and uh, it's a tricky balancing act, you know, says someone like me. And then we all, as individuals, we have our own balancing acts, you know, we might say, uh, and we've had this situation today. We've been creating, my wife and I have been sitting together, carefully drafting long emails to um, one of our girls, apostrophe on the end of the S, um, schools. Well, and now, um, you know, justifying why we're pulling out one of the girls, but not the other just yet, but we'll be pulling the other one out on Friday, even though the school itself hasn't closed down yet. You know, and to its credit, the school has been writing lengthy emails back to us that we've been carefully discussing all our you know, particular circumstances um, and what the girls need and all that sort of stuff. It's been complicated. Now, so even on an individual level, we're all making complicated um, strategies and decisions and all that sort of thing. But the Prime Minister is doing that on a national scale. He's having to weigh up all sorts of things, like I mentioned before, you know, that if the schools close, there'll be no one to man the hospitals. But then, you know, on an individual level, our family says, well, we're not working in the hospitals. So if the only reason you're not closing the schools is because there's no one to man the hospitals, then that tells us you would have closed the schools had it not been for that sort of employment problem you've got, which means we should be pulling our girls out and our boy from the other school. Yeah. Um, and so on and so forth, you know. Um, but overall, I've learned it's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. And probably the only people to ignore are those people who are on social media and all that sort of stuff and, you know, who are saying, ScoMo is being absolutely ridiculous you know because you know you try having his job you know you might come in and just make wild cat decisions like donald trump is doing i think you know donald trump you know on thursday i heard in america was pleading for the nfl their football to be kept alive don't kill the season he was saying you know and then two days later you know someone got in his head and he was saying Shut everything down. You know, this is, this is a man out of kilter. You know, thank God he's not my leader, you know. I've got ScoMo. I listened to him for a good 20 minutes, but I know he spoke for an hour or something last night on national television, absolutely eloquently, abs you know, with perfect grammar, and was saying what he meant to say and meaning what he said and was balancing all the factors up and, you know, if you had a transcript, he was speaking off the top of his head, you know, but if you had a transcript of what he was saying, you know, you could publish it as a book and it would read perfectly. Um, if you had a transcript of one of Donald Trump's addresses to the nation, it would look ridiculous on paper. Absolutely ridiculous. Um, we Australians have a habit of throwing up leaders who can express themselves beautifully. And America has a habit of throwing up leaders who can't. I remember, you know, this has got, I've, I've shifted away from coronavirus now. Um, I remember in the time of the Iraq war, when that was being 
um, announced, you know. Um, George W. Bush was giving rambling speeches about the terrorists, T-E-R-R-R-R-R-S-T-S, and how they need to be all held, you know, blah, 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 we couldn't understand him, a little bit, you know. And, um, and then Tony Blair and John Howard uh, were making speeches at the same time, you know, those three nations, the UK, Australia, and America, you know, and I think a couple of others, um, a few others, um, the axis of evil we were. <laughs> um, but the point is, John Howard and Tony Blair, oh my goodness, you know, they were making a silk purse out of a sow's ear and they were putting the case for invading Iraq beautifully. I saw Tony Blair in the UK stand up in Parliament and even if you hated what he was saying, uh, the way he was saying it was brilliant. He put together... Um, an incredible argument for going into war against Saddam Hussein. Um, and John Howard did the same here. Brilliant, you know, like they're brilliant speakers, brilliant thinkers and brilliant communicators. Um, we seem to be able to throw those sorts of people up as our prime ministers. And America seems to throw up people like Donald Trump, who is a great communicator, but not when, um, you know, not when something like something serious comes along, uh, because you know he'll, he he speaks off the cuff in such a way and in a rambling way, a little bit like me really, um, and doesn't necessarily uh, bother about being rational. You know, ah, yeah, everybody relax. You know, the coronavirus is going to all go away. I, I reckon it'll go away very soon. You know, I reckon it'll go away in in, in you know in time for the NFL season. Don't call the footy off. Come on. Am I right? Am I right? You know, that's how he speaks, you know. Well, we'll keep the footy going. You know, let's be optimistic about this thing. Well, here's the funny thing. Coronavirus doesn't care whether you want to be optimistic or pessimistic. You know, this is one where you have to come back to the science and the doctors and the health advice and all that sort of stuff and listen to your chief medical officer and all that sort of thing um, and pull your head in, you know, which is something that someone like ScoMo, Scott Morrison, can do. But um, Donald Trump, I think, is ill-suited to that approach. Uh, I managed to get back to coronavirus, didn't I? But that'll do on this episode. Um, and the off button is here. Aha! <laughs> I uh, did have one more thought that was rolling around my head earlier, which I forgot to mention. Um, about on the theme of looking on the bright side of coronavirus. Uh, number one, um, I'll be, if, I get, if I catch it and, um, and I die from it, personally, this is just you and me, I'm talking, you know, you and me here, um, but I die and you're listening to my podcast, I will be able to um, keep this podcast going till the last minute. Uh, because you stay completely lucid, uh, a doctor told me, uh, all the way to the end. So, uh, you know, you don't go into hallucinations and start, go blue, you know, you start, start um, you know, you don't go stupid, you know, before you die. You are, comp- you, com- you know what's happening to you all the way to the last minute. Yeah, so, um, 
And I, I doubt that, you know, this would be, um, yeah, you would perceive any tragedy in my voice if I get to that point, because, you know, I'm not speaking this podcast as myself. My real self will probably be upset, you know, because that's the last I'll see of my children and all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, but this podcast, I'm not, you know, I'm acting here. This is not the real me. Um, this is an alias or something, you know. Uh, so I'll probably keep speaking this podcast in this tone of voice right up to the last minute. Um, and, you know, that's a bright, you know. So, uh, And the bright side of that is there'll be no... Um, There'll be no tapering off of my faculties towards the end, and I'll be able to say, listen, everybody, um, end of uh, episode, but also end of podcast, because I'm about to die, you know, and I'm, and I'm suffocating right now in, uh, you know, uh, how does that suffocation happen? Fluid on the lungs, I presume, of some sort, you know, you're gasping for air. Hey, um, uh, I've only got a few seconds to go, so listen end of uh, episode and end of podcast and uh oh I've forgotten to think of something profound to finish off with you know so be good to your mother something like that now um but there was one more bright side to coronavirus that I thought of uh, earlier and that was once it's over you know let's say worst case scenario comes into play and the world economy just destroys itself you know, and we dip into war and all sorts of terrible things happen um, 200,000 people die in Australia and all that sort of stuff um, the coronavirus mutates and um, another strain comes out that starts knocking off the healthy people oh that might change their behaviours you know, because at the moment they're still gathering in groups going to parties for goodness sake um, and spreading the virus around, spreading the love around, you know, killing the old people. Uh, but you know, the, 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 we are in uncharted waters. Yeah. And now let's say this goes absolutely terribly. And maybe even five to six billion people get wiped out. You know, oh, we'd need a mutant strain of coronavirus and um, we've been surprised it hasn't been mutating if it's mutating it's mutating very slowly you know so this has been a blessing really we've only got one strain really maybe two i don't know um and that strain we're getting to know its characteristics quite well and we're working hard on a vaccine we australians are at the forefront of that we might be first to come up with a vaccine uh, we're not bad on micro sort of biology we australians but anyway the bright side of all of that is the dead people are dead. But the ones who are still alive, um, when they emerge from the wreckage, they tend to emerge like a phoenix um, after great disasters, you know. Like after World War II, you know, we had the fabulous 50s. Um, rock and roll, you know. Um, whole new movements that had never existed before, just born of optimism, you know, the teen movement, you know, um, youth movement, you know, the idea of youth having a voice, you know, that was rock and roll. There's been a whole youth culture ever since, 
the 1950s, post-World War II, you know, um, there's been a whole youth culture ever since then, and you know, generation after generation after generation of you know, youth saying, we've got the power, you know, who gave it to you? You know, Donny Osmond, <laughs> calm, fool, the children of the revolution, you know, all this sort of stuff. We've had that generation after generation, you know, people try to put us down, you know, my generation, you know. Um, we've had that generation after generation, a youth, you know, a succession of youth movements, and every generation of youth feels like, oh, we are the new thing, we are the fresh thing, and you're all old, you know. But the old people today were in that youth movement themselves, um, and they don't forget what it felt like. They are still that youth in their heads. You know? So they know what you're talking about, young people. They know what you're talking about. They've been there, they've done that. But there was one group of youth um, who, were the, who were really the first. And that was the 1950s, the rock and roll, you know. Elvis, Little Richard, you know, all of those guys. Everly Brothers, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis, you know, the whole lot. Fats Domino, all those great people, you know. Um, oh, look, they weren't, they were atrocious, most of them. But the point is, um, they were the youth. And, um, and that tool lead to Chuck Berry, who was actually 30, but he came and, he came and crashed the youth party and pretended to be young. Uh, Hope you're not listening, kids, but the reason he did that was probably to get laid. Um, that was a terrible thing to put in a family podcast, but, you know, he was a toolie. If you don't know what a toolie is, Google it. Yeah. It's, it's when all the schoolies at the end of year 12 go up to Queensland and have a party, and then some 30-year-olds come in and join the party, you know, and mix with all the 18-year-olds. It's kind of disgusting in a way. And Chuck Berry was kind of one of them in my, in my book. But the point is, he wrote good songs. <laughs> and, um, but, um, but all the others, you know, Elvis and all those ones, they were all young. Even little Richard, he was still young when, when all this was starting off, you know. Um, now, what was I talking about? Um, oh, yeah, if we emerge... Oh, yeah, look, I got off track there. But... If we emerge from this coronavirus, it'll be a bit like emerging from World War II, and there might be a real rush of optimism. You know? And there also might be population reduction, you know, which will ease a lot of environmental issues and all that sort of stuff. You know, you've got a chance of making a fresh start, especially if we lose about five billion people, which rather than, you know, just at the moment looks just looks like we might only lose millions. But looking on the bright side of coronavirus, we could lose, lose billions, including me, which is not great for me. However, for the people who are left, you know, you've got a kind of slightly blank slate there, you know, um, and, and plenty of land and something great might come out of it for the ones who are left alive. And within a generation, all the dead ones, you know, there'll be a Everyone will be really sad for a generation, but the generation after that will sort of, you know, it'll all be in the history books, and um, and it'll be a much better planet. And they might have learnt from some of our mistakes. You know, you could get something good come out of it, but it could go very bad too. You know, because after the fall of Rome, um, it wasn't much good after that, and after World War One, it wasn't much good after that either. You know, so it can go either way. You know. 
This could go either way. That's a nice way to finish. All right, that's the end of the episode. This time, that's the end of the episode. But overall, this episode has been about looking on the bright side of coronavirus. Now, will we have a post-World War II optimism situation after this is all said and done? Or will we have a, a post-World War I Great Depression? You know? Could go either way.